this, this chapel talk is uh, not one in the series that's been going on on Tuesday mornings, which has been the um, well-known passages of the Bible. The seminary is on March break, and so this is a bit of the interlude in the normal uh, Tuesday chapel services. Um, so I had free reign to choose a passage, in a sense, and basically what I've done is, since this is the first Tuesday chapel of Lent, first community chapel of Lent, I thought we would go along with uh, the Lenten readings for today. So the psalm that was already read today and the New Testament reading, which Dave just read, are um, two of the readings, the psalm reading and the New Testament reading for today. But as we, as we think about Lent and what the season of Lent is about, it's about reflecting on our sin. Fun stuff, right? It's about reflecting on our failures and about reflecting on what God has done for us because of that, because of our failures, because of our sin. And today what we're going to be doing is looking at Israel's struggles and seeing their failures and yet God's faithfulness to them in that. God is faithful even in the midst of our faithlessness. The Old Testament reading is what I'm actually going to be preaching from today, and that is found in Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 through 12. So uh, turn there or click there, whichever is your preference. Um, Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 12. As you're turning there, it's important to think about the fact that Deuteronomy is one of the great books of the Bible. It's the last book in the Pentateuch. It is, um, along with Isaiah and the Psalms, one of the three most cited Old Testament books in the New Testament. It's the retelling of the law. That's what it means, the second law. It's the retelling of the law to the people of Israel. And in that, it's just before Moses is about to give up leadership to Joshua. This is Moses' final pep talk, in a sense, to the people. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and now... They're about to uh, go finally into the promised land, but Moses is not able to go. And so he's reminding them of, of what, um, that God is going to fulfill his promise and get them into the promised land, uh, although Moses himself is not going to go. Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 12. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, that is the peoples already in the promised land, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas is... Whereas, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to, the, to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. On them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of the forty days and forty nights, the Lord gave me the two, stone, the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. 
Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. God is faithful even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. One of the things that's striking to me is in these first, four, these first three verses, Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6, on three separate occasions, God says to the people in three different ways, it is not because of your righteousness that you are getting into the promised land. Verse 4, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness. And again in verse 5, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart. And again in verse 6, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. It is not the righteousness of the people of Israel. God is driving this point home three separate times in three verses. It's not what Israel has done. It's not their righteousness that is getting them into the land. Before we get too far, though, it might be helpful to talk about what is righteousness. I think in a place like this, those of us who have grown up in churches, we've heard the word righteousness a lot. We maybe assume we know what we mean by it, but what are we really talking about? There's a, there's a bit of a parallel in verse 5. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart, which the um, NIV translates as integrity, the uprightness of your heart. There's a parallel between righteousness and being upright in heart, having integrity. Another way we can look at righteousness, at least from this perspective, is to see righteousness as acting justly, being right, being in a right place before God having a moral or ethical purity before God. That's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being in a right place before God. And that's what Israel, whether or not they have it or not, whether they have this righteousness, it's not what they've done, who they are, that gets them into the promised land. What, what are those things? If we, if we see this as acting justly, we have to recognize that it's nothing that Israel can do that's going to get them into the promised land that's going to get God to fulfill his promises to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fulfillment is through God. And we see the same idea echoed in chapter 8, just the previous chapter. Chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It's not what Israel has done. It's not who they are. It's not their status before God that's getting, that is bringing God to the point where he's going to fulfill his promises to them. It's God's faithfulness, ultimately. It's also the wickedness of the other nations, which is said here. God, in fulfilling his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bringing them into the land, is this fulfillment of his promise to them, but it's also a judgment on the nations that are in that land. It has nothing to do with Israel. It's all about God. And that is one of the significant and important pieces we have to recognize here. As we shift and think about this, well, how does this relate to us? What, what's, this, what's the connection with us here, since we, in some sense, are not Israel? What things, though, do we tend to claim as our own? What is our righteousness? What do we claim by our actions as ours, 
as our merit. What have we done by our merit? What do we do? Is it the, the last mark you got on a paper? Is that, is that yours? Is, did you achieve that? What is it, uh, does it have to do with any summer job you've gotten, you've got lined up, or a permanent job that you have? Is that something that you've done on your own? Is it, uh, is it anything positive you have in your life? Is it the friends you have, the possessions you have, any of those things? Is it, is it your job here at Tyndale? Is it my job here at Tyndale? Is this something I have achieved, that I have done? Are we as Tyndale going to move slowly over to the Bayview campus here in the next few years because of anything we have done, or is it because of God's faithfulness? What, what do we, and I challenge you, just to think about what do you claim as your own? Israel here is being warned not to claim entrance into the promised land because of their righteousness, because of their acting justly, because of their place before God, because, because of their ethical or moral purity. What is it that we do? Do not say in your heart, it is because of my righteousness. It's ultimately about God keeping his promises and God being faithful. Uh, my son, who's, uh, who's here today, over there, playing in the corner, um, Abram, he, uh, he really enjoys playing hockey. And that's since, uh, even more so since the floor hockey season has started. He enjoys going down to, to watch. And, and uh, he's really shy when he's down there. Some of you have seen him. He's very shy. He likes to be close. But when we get back upstairs, it's like nonstop play-by-play of what happened during the game. And he is, he is fascinated by goalies. I'm not sure if it's because the goalie is the first thing right there when you're sitting in the stands. But he is fascinated by the goalies and the masks. And uh, even though he's a little bit scared of the masks, it's some sort of tension that he has there. Um, but because of that, we have to play hockey at least twice a day, um, sometimes three. Um, those of you, I, I live on the sixth floor. Those of you who li also live on the sixth floor, uh, my continual apologies for the, the sticks and the balls against the doors. Um, I, I try to keep the ball away from the doors, but there's only so much I can do. <laughs> but Abe loves playing hockey, and there are three balls that meet his standard regulation. The, uh, uh, they're all the same type of ball. They have these little faces on them, because actually they're a bath toilet that squirts water. But they've, they've turned into hockey balls. There's, a, there's the red ball, the green ball, and the yayo ball. Uh, and uh, of those three, though, the red ball is the top-notch, highest-quality ball. And if it's lost, that's a problem. The green and yellow don't really uh, match up. So um, it was a week or so ago, the red ball was missing. And uh, I had an idea. I thought it was probably lost under the, under the couch. Abe had no idea where it was, <clears throat> I don't think. And so I said, well, he said, Daddy, let's find the ball. Let's find the red ball. So I thought it was under the couch. I lay down on the floor. I had to pull some things out that we, we keep under there. And um, I found it in the back. I had to get something a little long to kind of reach back because it was way back there. Pull it out. As I'm, as I'm grabbing the ball and bringing it out, it kind of comes out from underneath the, the couch into the light. And Abe says, I found it. <laughs> I found the red ball. Right, buddy, I'm the one that laid down on the floor. I pulled the stuff out. I reached in, I pulled it out, I grabbed it, and you found it. <laughs> That's the sort of claim that God is warning Israel against making. 
It is not because of anything you've done, not because of your righteousness, that I'm getting you into the promised land. How many times in our lives are there those things where we make that same sort of claim? I found it. I did it. When really it's God working in our lives, being faithful, keeping promises to us that allows us to have these things, to do these things, to accomplish these things. That's, that's something that we need to be aware of, that Israel was warned against. With them, it was specifically, it was the entrance into the promised land. But what is it for us? What are those challenges that we try to claim as our own? I think we can heed the same warning with those things in our lives. We are not the ones who achieve anything by our action, by our merit, or our righteousness. It is God, the Lord God, who acts in our lives. He is the great and awesome God who has acted in our past, is acting in our present, and will act in our future. He is faithful. The Lord God does lead them into the promised land, but it is not because of their righteousness, not because of anything else they've done. Now what's interesting to me is that's the, that's the challenge of, the first, of verse 4 through 6. But when you get to six, uh, through the second half of 6 through 9, Israel, it's not because of your righteousness, but in fact, as the end of verse 6 says, you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget in verse 7, you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been a rebellious against the Lord. Not only is it not their righteousness, they don't have any righteousness to begin with. There's nothing that they can claim on their own. In fact, they've been acting unrighteously, being rebellious against God, provoking him to anger. As verse 8 says, even at Horeb, it's Mount Sinai, even at Mount Sinai, when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, they're down below breaking the first two commandments before they've even gotten them, making a graven image, having another God before them. They're being stubborn, rebellious, and provoking God to anger. The NIV, instead of stubborn, has stiff-necked which is the imagery of an oxen whose neck is stiff and won't get their head into the, into the yoke in order to be led. Stubborn. Not only is this reference to Mount Horeb, to Mount Sinai, where they're provoking God to anger, in, later in chapter 9, in verse 22 through 24, God brings up three other instances where they provoked him to anger. Tabera, where they complained. Masa, where they complained about water and also at Kibroth Hatava, where they complained about, hey, where's the meat? From an older generation, where's the beef, right? <laughs> In this case, it was quail. In contrast to verses 4 through 6, where God says three times, it is not your righteousness, it is not your righteousness, it is not your righteousness. In 9 through 10, there is a contrasting three other points that are mentioned three times. The tablets of stone, the tablets of stone, the tablets of stone, which are also referred to, given further descriptions, as the tablets of the covenant, the tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words of the Lord spoken with you on the mountain in the midst of fire. The tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. It's not your righteousness. In fact, you're stubborn. You don't even have righteousness to begin with. 
to even claim that it's yours that's getting you into the promised land. On the other hand, the contrast is with God's standard, God's commands, the tablets of stone, three times in contrast to the three times of it's not your righteousness. Israel rebels against the Lord. It's not their righteousness. What are we being stubborn about? What is it in each of our lives that we are being rebellious to the Lord about? In this season of Lent, I challenge you to think about that. Israel continued to be stubborn throughout their relationship with the Lord. What is it in our lives that does the same? How do we fall short of God's standard of righteousness? The tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. God is faithful even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Even though they're stubborn, rebellious, and provoking God to anger, God still is faithful to his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring them into the promised land. The challenge of this passage and the challenge of Lent is to think about our failures, our sins, to think about why Jesus had to come. Why did he have to come? Why did he have to die? Because of our failures, because of our sins, our stubbornness, our rebelliousness, our provoking of God to anger. Are we still provoking him? Are we still claiming our own righteousness? Are we still saying, I found it? At the end of this section of Deuteronomy, God gives his people a positive challenge of how to live. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. The rest of chapter 9 is, in fact, God going on and on about how Israel provoked him to anger at Mount Horeb. But in chapter 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. As we go from here today, may we all remember God's great faithfulness, his provision to his people, and of our great need for his righteousness, which we can never, ever gain on our own. In closing, um, I'll say a brief prayer and then give a benediction. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, even though we are unfaithful. We thank you for the challenge and the example of Israel. We pray, Lord, that you will help us, help us with a greater knowledge of who you are and what you've done through us, through your son, done for us through your Son Jesus Christ, that we can live more faithfully, that we can be faithful followers of you who are not rebellious, who recognize that the only righteousness we can have is from you. We pray, Lord, your blessing on us today for our brothers and sisters in Japan, in New Zealand, in Haiti, and other places in the world where disaster continues to strike, Lord. We pray your blessing there. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen. <laughs>